All right, let's look at chapter 1 of uh, Proverbs. Remember, we looked last week at really the preface to Proverbs written by Solomon. And remember, I said Solomon wrote the first nine chapters. And then, of course, he wrote most of Proverbs, but it was compiled by others after the initial nine chapters. And so we're looking now at, we're getting right into the heart now of Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to see that basically he's giving a call to heed wisdom. A call to heed wisdom. Now, let me just ask real quick again, based upon what we looked at last week, is wisdom, is that the same thing as having a lot of education? Does that mean college degrees? What, what is wisdom? Maturity, okay. Experience, okay. Understanding of life with, in accordance with what God wants. And so we're going to see that again today. In fact, what we're going to notice in this passage, he's going to personify wisdom as a woman. He's going to personify wisdom as a woman. So let's notice, first of all, there's a call here. Look at with me at verse 8. He's going to call his son to listen. Listen to what he says. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. So he's giving an exhortation here, and he's calling his son. He calls his son to heed instructions and commands. He calls his son to heed instructions and commands. Now, why do you think this is a good way, as he's getting ready to give us instruction, that he would just start out saying, look, my son, listen to me. Why the? Why do you think he's giving this? Why does he have to start off? Rather than just starting out saying, this is what you need to do, he starts out this way. Why do you think he does that? Okay, he's trying to get his attention. Anyone else? Why do you think he's doing this? How many of you have teenagers? How many of you have young adults that are, that are growing up? Okay. How well do they heed your instruction? How well do they heed? Well, it depends on what it's about, but mostly, by that, when they turn 18, maybe you can remember, okay, let's, let's not pick on them. I want you to think back to when you were 18. Some can, okay? Think back when you were 18. What was your attitude about life then? You knew it all? What is the, you knew the answers. Were you teachable at that time? Do they tend to be teachable? You're laughing back there. Yeah. So do you understand why Solomon starts out the way he starts out in this passage? He's saying to his son, listen, son. Listen to me. Heed. And listen, he also is saying, look what he says in that second part there, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, why would he say that? What's the tendency that when you're 18 and you're ready to move out, you're ready to what? Throw off what? The apron strings or the shackles, you know, the shackles of home, the, the rules, I'm on my own now. 
I can do my own what? Thing. And doesn't matter what mom says. Do, do you see the point there? The, the whole, I want you to see the understand here. He's trying to get his son to understand something because he's getting ready to tell him what he needs to understand. If that is, don't, don't forsake the commandments. And don't, don't, don't forsake, you know, listen to the commandments and don't forsake the instruction of your mother. Now, who would have been the primary, especially in Solomon's case, who would have been the primary teacher in that young man's life? Yes, his mother. In that culture, maybe it's, and it's not too much different today, the primary caregiver for children was who? The mom. So everything that child would need to learn from would be learned from who? The mother. Now, this is especially true in Solomon's case because Solomon, how many wives did he have? Yeah, hundreds. Would he have time just to sit and instruct his children? He probably had more children than he could fit in a room when you have that many wives. So the primary one is his... That's why the whole emphasis there on the mother, okay? Now, look at verse 9 now, and he's going to tell the benefit of listening. Here's the benefit. Now, there's a word of wisdom for you and I with verse 9. Look at verse 9, and I'll tell you what the word of wisdom is. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. So he's going to tell them the benefit of listening. And here's what he says. By heeding instructions and commands, the son will be honored. You say, now what's this word of wisdom you have for us? Notice what the word of God does. Notice what Solomon is doing. Notice what he's doing here. He is not just telling him to listen. He's telling him the benefit of listening. He's not just saying, you need to do this. He's telling them why you need to do this. See, that's, I think is a very important instruction for us as parents. Especially when they get older. You know, when they're younger, you can tell them, don't do this, don't do that. Well, you know, I'm realizing now, I have to tell them why you can't do this. Because they ask, why? And it doesn't suffice to say to them, because I said so. You need to tell them why. So he's saying, I want you to listen, verse 8. And here's the reason why, because in verse 9, you're going to be honored. Now you say, how do you get that out of there? Because notice what he says in verse 9. For you, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and a chain around your neck. Those are symbols of honor. In that culture, when they honored someone, they would put a chain around their neck. Remember, go, go with me to the book of Esther. Remember when Mordecai was honored by the king? He had the best robe put on him and everything. In, in, in the Israelite culture, you know, a chain, an ornament on the head. Now, you guys are thinking, I wouldn't wear nothing on my head except a hat. Well, in that culture, they did. In that culture, they did. And so he's being, so what he's saying is, is by listening and heeding instruction, I'm going to be honored. You're going to be honored. The son is going to be honored. So now, he gets right into the heart of what he wants to say. Here's the heart of his instruction as he's trying to talk to his son. And, and he starts off talking about the dangers of pursuing wickedness. So notice with me verses 10 
through 19. We're going to look in particular at 10 through 14 right now. Look with me at 10, verse through 14. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive like Sheol. For and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Casting in your lot among us, let us have, let us all have one purse. So let's notice here, first of all, the enticement of the wicked. So as he's going to explain the dangers of the wicked, he's going to explain to us the enticement of the wicked. Okay? How the wicked entice us. And so, Solomon tells his son not to accept the invitation to engage in wickedness. Can I be honest with you? Do you think, let me just ask before I give you my point there, do you think that we live in a world that continually invites people to wickedness? I mean, and, it's, it's, and the invitations are subtle and they're outright. And the invitations can be something simple as you being at work and everybody else at work is saying, well, you know, we only got 15 minutes for, for a break here. Let's take another 15. Or maybe it's time to clock out and you show up at the clock 15 minutes early. See that? And, and, and you're doing it because what? Everybody else is there at the clock waiting to what? Clock out 15 minutes early. That's an invitation to wickedness. You say, now how is that wickedness? Well, you're stealing from somebody. Who are you stealing from? Yeah, your boss. Now, we, we may not like that, but that's the fact because your boss is paying you for what? Work. And if you're hanging out at the clock waiting for it to what? So, now, I understand some of you are thinking in your mind, well, you don't understand my boss, and you don't understand, he doesn't pay me enough. And, you know, I, all of that aside, in God's eyes, what's the truth? See, and there's an invitation for wickedness there. There's a lot of other invitations for wickedness. You see them all around you if you go on the Internet. You can stumble upon the invitations for wickedness on the Internet. All kinds of invitations for wickedness. We have them right here in our in our community. You know, we have a, a beer place and we have a, a liquor store right here in town. And they're very subtle. We have you know there you know there are ten churches in Kerwinsville. Did you guys know that? Ten churches in Kerwinsville. Do you know how many bars there are in Kerwinsville? Ten. And they entice you in too. So the invitations are there. And so he's saying to his son, listen, son. Don't accept the invitation to engage in wickedness. Don't accept it. Make a decision that you're not going to go there. See, what most of us will do is, is that we will say, well, I'll wait until it happens and then I'll just decide then. No, you've got to make a decision beforehand. You have to make a decision beforehand that I'm not going to engage in that type of behavior. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm going to do what's right before you, Lord. 
And so you see there that Solomon tells his son not to accept the invitation to engage in wickedness. Now, here's the enticement that Solomon is focusing on here in particular. He's focusing on two specific things, specific things that they are enticing him to. One is to murder. One is to murder. The wicked entice others to join them in the murder of others. The wicked entice them to join them in the murder of others. Now notice something here. Notice what he says here. This is, this is their attitude. Come with us. Let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us work secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive like Sheol, or another word for that is hell. And the whole like those who go down to the pit. This is the attitude that says, let us destroy people. Let us, let us do... Let us engage in activity that will destroy him. Here he's talking about physical murder, the shedding of blood. That's not so much a big issue in our... Murder is an issue, but not so much an issue that is prevalent in our, in our society today. But we do have other forms of murder, do we not? Remember what Jesus said? If you hate someone in your hearts, you've what? You've murdered them. You've killed them. And it's very easy for us to get enticed by others into what? Hate? Attitudes? Towards other people? Just just watch. It's just real easy to get involved with that, isn't it? And so he's saying that the wicked will entice you into that kind of behavior. There's another kind of behavior that they will entice you in, and this is what I think that we may fall fall to, and that is the enticement to steal. Look again at verses 13 and 14. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. So here's what he's saying. The wicked entice others to join them in enriching themselves by stealing. I've already mentioned one way, and that's with that work. Did you know there was a poll that was done recently among young professionals? And this, is, this, is, this has been a concern about the ethical issue among young professionals working for businesses. And that a majority of young professionals do not feel it's wrong to steal envelopes, pencils, pens, erasers, paper, any office supplies from their work. In fact, a majority of them feel that it is just part of the job. It's just part of the benefit of working there. That I can just take that stuff home. Now, who pays for that stuff? Yeah, your employer. Actually, let's be honest. Does he really pay for it? Who does he pass it on to? Yeah, the customer. We all pay for it. We all pay for it. Is that stealing? Yeah, it is stealing. But everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, George. Why are you harping on this? Hey, here's another one. Cheating on your taxes. Cheating on your taxes. You know, there's an interesting thing now. In fact, the government wants you to use it as these, the computerized programs that you can just do at home and then e-file. And so you're there doing your taxes. 
So you fudge. Is that right? No, see, that's wrong too. But George, everybody's doing it. Yeah, but listen to what Solomon said. He told his son not to heed what? The invitation of the wicked. Okay, let's, let's remember. Okay, you so said, now who are the wicked, George? Okay, let's get a biblical definition, first of all, in understanding who the wicked are. Does anybody want to give me a definition of who the wicked are? It isn't an axe murderer, although it can be. Yeah, unbelievers. What you're saying is, what Solomon is saying is, don't follow what unbelievers are doing. Because unbelievers have no concept of who in their life. God. They have no concept of accountability to God. You as a believer know that one day, you and I stand before God, we've got to give an account of what? Every aspect of our life. So wisdom is understanding that I need to what? Say no to the invitation. Say no to the invitation. And that includes preachers. That includes all of us. Not to allow ourselves to be what? Enticed into this type of behavior. And here's the wonderful thing. Remember I told you that the Bible will say to you, don't do this? It also tells you why not to. So look with me now at verse 15 through verse 19. He's going to talk about the consequences. Consequences. Here's what he says, verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Okay, so first of all, he starts off this section about consequences with an exhortation. And here's what he says. Here's the exhortation he gives. He says, Solomon encouraged his son not to get involved with the wicked. So once again, he's going to warn him. Son, don't get involved with the wicked. Don't get involved with the wicked. Listen to me. Don't follow their ways. Don't do what unbelievers are doing. Don't do it. That's verse 15. Verse 16, he says, here's why. Here's the result of wickedness. Here's what will happen. Here are the consequences. See, this is what's missing from a lot of our instruction. We'll tell people not to do things, but we won't tell them the consequences. But Solomon says, this is the consequences. He says, the course of the wicked leads to evil and death. The course of the wicked leads to evil and death. Then he points out their blindness, verse 17. He says this, The wicked are blind. The wicked are blind to the fact that their deeds are obvious to all. The wicked are blind to the fact that their deeds are obvious to all. Have you ever met a man who, who is, who's, who's, a, who's a liar, a thief, a cheek, and he's, he's smooth, and he thinks that nobody realizes that he's a liar, a cheat, and a thief. You ever met somebody like that? But it's obvious to everybody that he is. 
Ever, ever met somebody like that? I mean, he, he thinks, everybody thinks he's okay. But reality is, everybody knows he's a liar, a cheat, and a thief. You ever met somebody like that? There are a lot of them. There are folks in our community like that. They will reach in your back pocket while talking to you. They'll do that. And they're, they're around. And they think that nobody sees them, but he says, look, they're blind to the fact that everybody can read them like a book. Everybody can read them like a book. Everybody can see right through them and see their heart, see where they're at. And that's a consequence. consequence. They're blind to their own activity. They think they're okay. You know, I once, I once had a talk with an individual who um, was, you know, they had gone through some struggles in their life. And they basically said that they never did anything wrong. Never did anything wrong. They once cheated a few people, but by and far, they never did anything wrong. They couldn't see that cheating people was wrong. Because everybody cheats people. But in their mind, they weren't bad. Because they only cheated just a few people. Not like a hundred people, just maybe one or two people. In God's eyes, does it matter the number? No. No, not at all. Not at all. See, they're blind to the fact that they've done wrong. See, they can even justify it. Well, everybody's doing it. See, in fact, that's one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor is when you sit down with people and you say to them, you know that what you're doing is wrong. And they come back and say, well, George, everybody's doing it. It's like, they won't, it, it doesn't stick to them. They're Teflon. They don't want to see that what they're doing is wrong. Because they basically look around and say that everybody's doing it. Yeah, but everybody's going to hell too. So, the blindness of the wicked. In fact, he uses the illustration here so that you understand what he's saying. When birds see trappers laying snares, they fly off. Which is to say that people as soon get to know who is the criminal, who the criminals are, and avoid them. You soon get to know who is a schmuck. And you decide, I don't think I'm going to do business with him. You could probably think in your mind right now of people that you will avoid doing some interaction with because you know that if you deal with them, you're going to get taken. Now, they're smooth, but wisdom says to you, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Okay, now notice now, the retribution. So he gets into, he says their blindness. Now, he talks about their retribution. Look at verse 18. He says this, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They leak secretly for their own lives. Evil efforts of the wicked result in their own undoing. Evil efforts of the wicked result in their own undoing. How many of you have ever prayed, God, why do you let them get away with it? Why do the wicked seem to get away with it, Lord? Why do you let them get away with it? How many of you ever prayed that kind of prayer? I have. How many of you? We all have, haven't we? 
It's interesting that a passage like this will speak to that kind of prayer. Because what Solomon is saying to you in all of his wisdom is, is that their eager efforts ultimately will be their undoing. It may seem like they're getting away with it right now, but their evil efforts, their wickedness, will be their own undoing later on. And you and I have seen that. You and I have seen people who maybe got away with it for the moment, and then it all came crashing down on them. It all came crashing down on them. And so he wants to make that point that one of the dangers of you and I pursuing evil and wickedness in our lives is is that it's going to result in our own undoing. It's going to result in our own calamity. It may even result in your own death. And that's what the point he's making here. So then he gives a general principle concerning the wicked in verse 19. Here's the general principle. And this is the principle that you and I need to understand as we work, as we interact with others, as we do what we're doing. This is the general principle that we need to understand, especially today in our society, that is so materialistic and so seeking for the dollar. Notice what he says, verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Here's the point he's making. Those who are greedy for gain will end up taking their own lives. Here's the thing. He's not saying that because you pursue it, you're going to end up committing suicide. Don't take it literally, but to get the principle of what he's saying. So, for instance, you've got a guy who sacrifices everything else for position at work. And he pursues, pursues position at work. And that's his whole focus, is work. Getting work, doing work, doing work, doing work. And he loses everything else. Maybe he loses his family. Maybe he loses his relationship with his kids. Maybe he's pursuing a lifestyle, and he's working, 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 working to get a lifestyle. It's his own undoing later on. I will never forget ten years ago, I forget who the baseball player was, but it was a pitcher from out in L.A. And the sports writers were asking him about his daughter who was complaining about the fact that her dad is never around and she just wants to spend time with her dad. And he said, what is the brat complaining about? Quote, I just bought her a BMW. You think verse 19 applies to his situation? See, he's pursuing something, and he's throwing tokens, but in the process of pursuing, he's lost what? Yeah, he lost his daughter. He probably lost more than just his daughter, his wife, his, you know, his family. See, we can pursue, and in this age, and listen, I'll be honest with you, because we're susceptible to it. I'll be honest with you. As North Americans, we are susceptible to it. Because of the American dream and everything. We are susceptible to pursuing, 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 and then ultimately it results in our own undoing. So you look at a guy, he's doing, he's just given the extra effort. He thinks the company rises and falls on him. He's sacrificing everything else. The company is there. Then they get bought out by somebody, and he gets a pink slip. They're moving to Mexico or Pakistan or somewhere. They're outsourcing. 
What does he have now? He's lost everything else. All his time was spent where? At work. In fact, he was under this delusion that as long as he was there, everything was going to go okay. If he wasn't there, the place was going to collapse. Now he finds out the place was never going to collapse. They didn't need him. They just used him. And he let them use them. See, there's a principle here. There's wisdom in what Solomon is saying to you and I. Is to understand and understand. So then verse 20 to 33, he's going to give us, real quickly here, the dangers of neglecting wisdom. So we're going to just fly through these points real quick. Let me read them to you real quick. Wisdom calls out aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel. It would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear and evil. Okay, so there's several things I want you to see here. First of all, Wisdom personified like a woman appeals to everyone to heed her instructions. Wisdom cries out to you and I, guys, listen. Listen. I want to spare you. Wow, listen, you know, there's a point that you and I got to grasp. When God tells us something in the Word, He is not trying to be some cosmic killjoy trying to make your life miserable. He is trying to spare your life from misery and pain. And so he, graciously enough, has told us way beforehand, way before we would ever engage in that any activity and say, don't go down this road. Don't go down this road. It'll be miserable. But how many times do we just go down the road and we find out that he was right? But then we live with the consequences, don't we? Wisdom cries out and says, listen. Listen, here's the other thing. Wisdom is ignored. When wisdom is ignored, she refuses to help in the midst of calamities that result. How many times will we not listen, and then when, boom, we go ahead and do it, and the consequences come in, how many times will we cry out to God then, Oh, God, save me from the consequences. God, save me from a problem. You know what he's telling us here? You may want to circle that passage. It's verses... 24 to 28. He is under no obligation. Are you listening to me? He is under no obligation to spare you from the consequences if you refuse to listen to him in the first place. 
If you refuse to listen to him in the first place, he's under no obligation to just pull you out of it. That's a powerful thing for you and I to know, isn't it? God, here's what we'll do. We'll do stupid things. We'll, we'll sin. We'll, we'll do the stuff. And then we're like, oh God, help me. I'm in the midst of it. Well, you're the one who brought it on. And don't get angry with him. Because that's what we'll do. He's not helping me. He's not helping you because you refused to listen to him in the first place. The help was there at the beginning. Don't do it. But now when you're in the midst of it, now when you're in the midst of it, he says, go on. So the result is wisdom ignored. Okay, here's the result of ignoring wisdom. Those who reject wisdom hate knowledge and refuse the fear of the Lord. You know, if you reject God's wisdom, you reject what he tells you, you're making a great statement that you really don't care about what God says and that you hate wisdom. And then here's the next point. Fools will suffer the consequences of their actions. Fools will suffer the consequences of their actions. And then verse 33 gives you that final principle. Those who heed wisdom will dwell in safety, security, and the absence of fear. Here, let me, let me explain something to you. I'll just close with this illustration. I want you to picture the wisdom of God like a household. And as long as I'm being obedient to the wisdom of God, I'm dwelling within the midst of that household. So, with the, and, and the benefit of that is, is that I feel security. I feel a belongingness. I feel, you know, I, you know there, there is that whole aspect of safety. Everything there. Now, when I tell wisdom, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want to do my own thing. I'm removing myself out of that household. Now I'm out in the world. I'm removing myself from the safety of wisdom. And wisdom says, okay, go ahead. But now, I'm out here in the world doing my own thing. I'm not safe anymore. I'm not secure. In fact, I'm insecure. But the safety's over here. I have removed myself from the safety of God in my life and what he would do. There's a powerful illustration there. When we no longer heed what wisdom is saying, we are removing ourselves from the security of that household of wisdom. It's a lesson for all of us to learn. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.